This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Thanks for joining us. We all want our Toronto Police Service to be as efficient as possible while maintaining maximum public safety. This was the directive given to Mayor John Tory's task force on policing earlier this year. And later this afternoon, an interim report will be released from the task force offering recommendations. There's word ahead of time that $100 million in cuts will be proposed to reduce the $1 billion Toronto police budget. You've heard the reports, maybe on my newscast this morning, or you've read in the paper as well. And we want to know your initial reaction to what's being proposed. 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Now, as a former police officer, City Councillor John Burnside knows firsthand how to improve policing. So we've got him on the line for his reaction. Councillor Burnside, how familiar are you with the recommendations? I mean, most of them have been leaked in the newspaper. Yeah, I have seen parts of the report. Uh, as most of the report seems to be higher level. Uh, talk a lot, a lot about uh, where they want to go, changing culture and getting costs under control. Um, you know, the devil will be in the details, of course. I think whether you're in agreement or not, everyone would agree that the Toronto Police Service needs to be reformed since we're working from the model of 1957. Would you say that's the case? Absolutely. Very little seems to have changed. Now, Mayor Tory calls it one of the most significant documents on policing in Toronto in the past 25 years. And he seems very pro on the recommendations. It will make for a safer city. Uh, It's just that police services will be deployed more efficiently. That sounds great on the surface. Is that really what you think is going to be proposed? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Toronto Police Service has been going down the road, although albeit at a very slow pace. And this report seems to say, hey, we're in the 21st century. Here's how we're going to get there, and we're going to get there quickly. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty enthused. From the council perspective, it's always about cutting the budget. But this report also talks, as I just said, uh, about a philosophical change and a cultural change and a more effective way of uh, policing and building communities. Let's speak to that. And you are a former police officer. Uh, How do you see the evolution of policing going forward? Well, uh, really, just as as the report uh, states, it's really about building those community relationships. You know, the trust in the police or the confidence in the police certainly has unfortunately decreased over the last uh, couple decades. So I think this is really about reversing that and, and, and building that trust back up. And it's working within the communities. The community 
understanding and knowing who the officers are, recognizing their faces, knowing their names, and then the police working with, with all the various community agencies to, to really uh, strengthen neighborhoods. And being more of a partner as opposed to uh, just a reactive agency. Is there not some of that already going on in some communities in Toronto? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, uh, I used to work in 54 Division, and uh, they're part of my ward right now. They do some wonderful work uh, building relationships with communities. There are a couple officers designated in their high, high-risk high area of Flemington Park. But I think this is really saying, hey, wh- they've taken what works and expanding on that. So it's not just little pockets, to your point. It's really uh, service-wide. Right, right across the city. Uh, We're speaking with Councillor John Burnside, former Toronto police officer. We want to hear from you as well, 416-360-0740-1866-744-740. Have you had a lot of interaction with Toronto police? What are your impressions of the service now? How do you think it could become more efficient? Now, John, salaries and benefits make up 89% of the police budget. So there's obviously a concern for public safety if you cut those numbers back, if in fact we're talking about reducing the number of employees. Well, and, and I mean, on the surface, that's, that would be a concern, but the reality is I don't think it is a concern. What really matters are the number of frontline officers and the strategies that they're using to reduce crime. So, you know, I believe there are about 5,400 officers now. The question is how many are on the front line? Having a 1,000 officers working in in back offices, not interacting with people, not being out on the street, that really doesn't help anyone. And I think that's that's the the most important point is I from what I understand of the report, they're not reducing frontline officers. They're saying, hey, here are some tasks where we don't need high paced paid police officers to do them so we can save some money and and hopefully redirect some of those those savings towards um, better training and employing new strategies. Right. So that a $90,000 a year police officer, the work that he or she is now doing would be done by somebody who would make 40 or 45,000. Right. I mean, it's actually worse than that by the time you uh, include benefits. But for instance, every division has an officer that organizes school crossing guards. That off that, you know, we could either save money or redeploy that officer out on the street. Let's talk about some of the specifics uh, that have been leaked ahead of the reports released this afternoon. Some police divisions would close and a three year freeze would be placed on hiring and promotions. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, the, 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 the division closing always seems to be a contentious issue, and I don't think it is, um, because what people do tend to do is they look at it from a fire department model where firefighters are sitting at the station. How long does it take them to respond? Well, we all know that police don't sit at the station. They're out driving around in the community. People's confidence in, the, in their local division has nothing to do with the concrete walls or the location of the station. It has to do with management. It has to do with officers on the street. So where that station is, to me, is largely irrelevant. And then that all flows into the whole technology of, of the current times of 2016 and, and transitioning officers to using their smart devices to save money and yet work more efficiently. 
Well, absolutely. And if you're using a smart device as opposed to a, uh, a workstation that's in a, in a cruiser, now all of a sudden you can be in the schools and, and meeting the students, or you can be in the community center, or you can be in the local park. There's a lot more flexibility that way. And I understand they're looking at social media and being able to reach officers through texting, through their phone, through social media. So you're actually building relationships. And I think largely, although not exclusively, but largely that's been missing. There is also word that $72 million worth of land and buildings would be returned to the city. Is that part of the whole thing of merging or getting rid of uh, police divisions or is that above and beyond that? Yeah, and I'm not. I, I did see that part of the report. I'm not familiar with that aspect of it, though. Okay. Uh, and disbanding, this is the final item, it seems, the disbanding of the Tavis unit and redeploying officers to other service priorities. Good idea? I think so. I think Tavis... You know, Tavis had its uh, had its moment. Originally, it was it was created to to address the the incidences of violence, and I think they were fairly effective. But their overall that was their core mission, and I think now it's more about building relationships and preventing these incidents of violence. And quite frankly, if the community lacks confidence, then policing is ineffective. And I believe that the community had lost confidence in Tavis, and it's time to, uh, to, uh, to move on. Thank you for your succinct and thoughtful analysis. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That is Councillor John Burnside. Uh, he represents the Leaside area of Toronto, Ward 26, also a former Toronto police officer. And he, I thought, was very succinct and comprehensive in his answers in telling us what policing has been like and where it could improve. Now you can have your say, 416-360-0740, Ed, in Toronto, what do you think about the recommendations of what you've heard and seen so far? Well, I agree with a lot of what he's saying, and it it uh, it leads back to personal, uh, personally meeting the children, the parents, the businessmen in the area. That's been lost over the years. We don't have police officers walking on the beat like we used to, and I think he's trying to indicate that we're going to come back to that a bit more. And that's what we need to start with, because I remember, uh, and then the, he was silenced by the greater. See, at one time, you had to be live in the city of Toronto to be a police officer in the city of Toronto, which makes a lot of sense. You don't want to uh, work for GM and then do all your training at Ford, if you know what I mean. So these officers living in Barrie and driving just to Toronto... Uh, to do an eight-hour shift, they're not really picking up the feeling of Toronto because they're not in Toronto. Uh, right. They're picking up the feeling of Barry to start with. And I actually spoke to an officer one day, and I was shocked. Uh, at, he said, oh, I, I like to live in Barry because I don't want anybody to know who I am. Now, when I was growing up in Toronto, uh, the police officers used to coach the local baseball team. So what I'm saying, this officer might be coaching a baseball team in, in Barrie and, and interacting with the parents and the children in Barrie. Uh, so you, I think they have to change the rule that you have to live in Toronto uh, to be a police officer in Toronto. And McCormick, who is the head of the police union, brought it up several years ago or let it slip 
that he didn't think they were as good because now they're not living in the city. They're they're not familiar with, uh, you know, the elements we have in the city. We have people with mental problems. We have people that are drug addicts. These aren't really dangerous people, but you have to be able to distinguish them an apple from an orange, if you know what I mean. No, you make a great point. I mean, living and, in the city and of you Toronto. Check your and records, you'll see that he slipped up and said that. It was in the papers. But with 45% of the police union uh, members, I guess, policemen, living out of Toronto, to make that comment, no wonder he never made it again. He was probably warned. We thank you for your comments, Ed. Uh, and you bring up a good point. It is important to be able to know the city that you are policing. Uh, it's it's unlikely that is going to become part of the set of recommendations that we will hear about today from the mayor's task force. Uh, for one thing, we didn't uh, that part didn't get leaked uh, to the papers. It seems as though most of the interim report that we're going to hear about this afternoon, we will have read about already. You will have heard about on the radio this morning. But it does bring up the point that if you're going to be working in the community as a Toronto police officer to bridge the police service and the community, you should know. You should be familiar with that neighborhood. Now, in terms of coaching basketball or baseball or whatever, I mean, during your off time, that might be above and beyond the call of duty, so to speak. 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Where do we go from here with our Toronto Police Service? What have you seen that you like on the streets of Toronto? Do you do you like that, that when you're walking down the Danforth or you're on Bloor West Village and you pass an officer who you've become familiar with that you might chat with in the coffee shop at Starbucks or Tim Hortons and you have a report with them, you feel like you can tell them about things you've seen in your neighborhood. If you if you're not experiencing that, is that something you'd like to see? Do you want to feel more on a first name basis with our Toronto police officers? Do you want to see them out more, less behind the desks, as John Burnside was speaking to there? I mean, you the the training. What Toronto police officers go through, what they, what is of, expected of them when they are on the front lines is enormous. And to waste that training and talent doing desk work, coordinating, scheduling, that kind of thing is, is a waste of, of their abilities. And I think that we're going to see some of that come out in today's report. Franco and Scarborough, what do you think about this? Hello? Hi, go ahead with your comments. Hi, thank you. I'd like to uh, just point out that uh, most cities in the world have a distinguished between a highly trained and paid and gun-carrying police force, which uh, deals, I guess, mostly with crime, and a traffic warden body, which deals with traffic. In this city, we seem to be wasting, in my opinion, a lot of money paying these police officers to give out tickets, uh, speeding, this, that, and the other, which traffic, you know, sitting around uh, construction uh, poles in the ground, uh, getting paid, I don't know how much, and, uh, you know, as much as I respect their work, I don't think we need gun-carrying, highly trained police officers to sit at the side of the road directing traffic. I, so think, I think a lot of people would agree with you on that, I, and it makes total sense to me. Yeah, that's uh, the, the, the point I want to make. And as far as the previous caller is concerned about living in your community, absolutely, I would take that one step further. 
I believe that uh, the majority uh, of uh, the principals and administrators in our schools do not live in the neighborhood. They don't even live in the city, yet they're supposed to be familiar with the neighborhood. They're supposed to be familiar with uh, the type of students that come to their school, and because they live uh, somewhere else, this, uh, uh, this is not so, not all the time or not as well as they could be. And how about our politicians, you know? I mean, uh, how many times have we heard of a member of parliament, uh, you know, being parachuted in from Ottawa, and, and all of a sudden this guy who's brought up and lives God knows where, New Brunswick, all of a sudden he's representing your writing. I don't think that's right. I think there's a groundswell for this uh, by the sounds of uh, our callers so far today that Toronto police officers should live and work in Toronto. They shouldn't live outside the city and work in the city. Now, mind you, we all know how expensive it is to live in Toronto. And can we expect a Toronto police officer on his salary to raise a family? I would say yes to that. Uh, it depends on what his spouse is doing or if uh, he or she is a single mom or dad. You know, it is expensive to live in Toronto. And we can't really limit somebody's livelihood by saying you can only be a Toronto police officer by living in the city. But it is an interesting uh, topic of discussion that is worth uh, continuing to have here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. We'll get back to more of your calls on the evolution of policing in Toronto. 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We're talking about Toronto policing today, where it's been, where it is today, and how it should evolve. And this is all coming about with recommendations, which will be released this afternoon as part of an interim report from Mayor John Tory's task force on policing. We've got a call from Mississauga. Um, How do you pronounce your name? Mattis. Mattis. Hi. What would you like to add to the conversation? I, 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 a couple of things. I think the first first caller uh, said, said, said it that, uh, uh, like, both politicians. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think uh, having police police officers living in the community community or within the, within the community, like you're working in Scarborough, so you can live in in uh, Etobicoke. That that that's a great idea to know to know your community. Uh, but that 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 came from a, a long time ago when uh, we weren't as mobile with uh, mobiles. And I th- I think uh, until the politicians uh, get to the point where a politician has to live in a community, actually physically. Live, in a community for at least two years or three years before they're allowed to run in a municipal election in that air in that riding a provincial uh, position or a, a federal position. Uh, and, until that happens, I, I think having the uh, police officers having to live in their community uh, is going to be a very hard uh, civil liberties sell. Right. I think I think what you're saying is that there needs to be an equal playing field. You can't you can't enforce some people in the public service to live in the city in which they work while others don't have to abide by that. And and it's 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 almost like uh, Kathleen Wynne going back to uh, privatizing hydro. Like 
she didn't learn from uh, uh, Sir Pe- uh, Henry Pellet when uh, the reason that hydro was made public was the obscene uh, prices that people were having to pay and not able to afford it. Right. So the, it's, the politicians will wiggle it so that they're still in control. Thank you for your call. Uh, I, uh, You know, there are two sides to this whole thing, but I think what it comes down to is that a Toronto police officer patrolling a certain area or being a frontline officer should be familiar with the neighborhood in which he's working. And some would argue, and I was thinking about this during the commercial break, maybe maybe if you're familiar with the area and you're spending eight, ten hours a day in it, maybe you don't need to live in it at the same time. I mean, there's different ways to become familiar with the neighborhood. John in Brampton, you're on Fight Back. Jane for Libby, go ahead. Yes, hi. Um, I guess I kind of disagree with Red Cops, but I don't think that makes a whole lot of difference. Uh, but one of the things I'd like to see, uh, and, and it seems to me just simple logic. We have areas in the city that, that are in turmoil. Uh, it's like Fort Apache, the Bronx, in some of these places. Well, you know, it, it may be nice and safe for the cops to shoot past these places in their $100,000 equipped cars at 100 kilometers an hour, but that doesn't do the citizens any good. Um, what we should have in these, if there's a problem building, let's have three or four cops who are there all the time. Get to know the people rather than whine about the lack of cooperation from the citizens. If I lived there and the neighbor on my left was shooting at the neighbor on my right, don't ask me to go volunteer any information that could get me shot from both sides. Because okay? <laughs> that's not happening. We need, we need those cops out of the cars, okay, park them in the parking lot if you want, but we need them right there in the middle, getting to know the good ones, the bad ones, and and the whole community. That, that would work. And John, don't, don't you I, think, John, as, as a police officer, I mean, isn't part of the reason you get into policing so that you can actually be out there with the people on the front lines ensuring public safety? I don't, think, I don't think most cops want to be behind a desk shuffling paper. No, and they shouldn't be behind desks. Well, okay, you, look, you're going to have people who get old, they get, uh, they're hurt, or they're overweight. Uh, we certainly got a few of those. And yes, those people, you know, put them behind a desk in the office. But in terms of enforcement, having police officers right there in those problem buildings, in the problem areas, patrolling them, and, and most of all, getting to know the people. Yeah. You know, the benefits of that would, would, would I mean, overnight you, you'd see a change. The other thing is I'd like to challenge uh, McCormick to do his boys a little bit of good here and maybe get the press involved. Do you know what's involved in arresting someone? Do you have any idea what happens? I was a store manager for years. We arrested shoplifters. In the early days, you stopped them. They gave up. They just, they, they were terrified about, of, of, I guess, being exposed to the community. They, whatever. They, they, were, they were usually very accommodating. As the years went on, that stopped. Any arrest then became a physical 
confrontation. No, John, you're absolutely right. They do need to be highly trained. And, uh, you know, there's every indication that that is the case and that they should be involved in doing the policing that's required of them, uh, dependent on the neighborhood in which they serve. We will find out this afternoon at three o'clock what those recommendations are exactly, and we will cover the details of that on Zoomer Radio News with Bob Comsick throughout the afternoon, so you will get the latest updates and information on that. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.